Good morning. For those I didn't get a chance to meet, my name is Albie Powers, one of the pastors here with Justin at Elm City, and I'm going get, to get us started by reading from uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. We've been in this, uh, this letter since March, kind of slowly going through what Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and so much of it is uh, just so appropriate for us today. Um, so let me, again, read to you. We're going to start chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Um, you can also follow along on the, uh, on the screen. So this is uh, Paul's words to this church. He says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Uh, so on Tuesday, my wife Beth and I, we went out to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, which was very exciting. Um, we have a, a little picture to show. This was, uh, this was not Tuesday, although I haven't aged a day in those 10 years. This was us kind of uh, the, day, the day we got engaged. Um, so we had a great, a great time celebrating 10 years of marriage. We went out a couple nights, couple nights early. And as we were talking just you know, about various things, one thing that kind of popped up as we were talking was just our favorite shows. You know, the, the favorite shows, especially, I, mean, I don't know if anyone else has had a few extra minutes on their hands the last four months where you're watching TV. Uh, and we kind of went through The Office again, which was the, I guess it was the top watch show. Even though it's been off the air for 10 years, everyone's kind of re-engaging it. So we were kind of talking about why that show is so popular, why that show is so engaging, and you know, other shows like Parks and Recs and even an old one like the show Friends. Like, what about those shows make people want to watch them so much? And it wasn't just that there's good writing and they're funny, which they are, but also what it does is it gives us a picture of community. And it gives us a picture of the type of community that we all wish we had in a way, but don't. Like one of, our, one of my favorite uh, Office episodes, we were, we were talking like, is when Pam is about to give birth to her first daughter, Cece, and the whole office shows up and is hanging out in the, in the waiting room. And it's all kind of waiting for her, and you know, Michael's lighting up a cigar in the hospital like he's not supposed to to celebrate. Like all those crazy things. But I was like, the reason why that's such a great episode is because everyone's like, I wish I had a group of friends that I was that tight with that would do like something as annoying as like show up and, oh, let me take that back. Having two kids, I am so glad that didn't happen to me that my office did not show up there. But that idea of like just being that, having a close-knit community like that is so appealing. And um, we just, that conversation kind of went on as we were talking, it was just, made us remember, like we were created by God for community. There's a reason that is so appealing. It's because that's how we were created. And the church should be the one place that does community the best. So often it does not. 
So often the church is really bad at community for various reasons. But as you read the scriptures, especially the section of Colossians, it is giving us a picture of what a beautiful Christ-centered community that has a culture that's shaped by the gospel, what that looks like. And as I read this, I so yearn that this is what our church looks like and feels like. Because we're given a picture of what does is a, is a beautiful community uh, look like. But then as we were talking, just this thought kind of popped up to both of us as we were reading and again, talking about the office and the other things. It's like, you can't do any of that with people you don't know well. Like the stuff that the, the scriptures talk about and you might read and say, that sounds awesome. Like that type of closeness and being in people and in ways that's marked my humility and gentleness and patience, all that type of stuff. Like none of this hat works in a sense unless it's with people that you know really well and spend a lot of time with. Even last week, one of the big takeaways was we need to learn how to bear with one another and forgive each other. And bear with one another is pretty much just almost like just grudgingly put up with difficult people. Because anytime you're in a big group, whether it's, a, you know, we said, you know, whether two or more are gathered, there's going to be issues. And uh, there's always going to be someone in your community that drives you crazy for one reason or another. And the scripture said, you know what? That's okay. Bear with them. Love them. But without actually close relationships, you don't have to do any of this. And so I think that's what's one been one of the more challenging things about the last five months is trying to figure out how do we do these one another's together? Because you might be able to like have a, a few smaller relationships, but as a whole, like the, the New Testament has a hundred different times it uses the phrase one another, and there's 59 different one another commands. And it's all about this is how we're supposed to engage with each other, interact with each other, love each other the way Christ has loved us. And you can't do that from a distance. Uh, so in this season, whatever it looks like next, and however you can do it, like figure out a way to prioritize community. I know it's challenging, and so I'm not saying like do things that are reckless and not say, like, and I, I understand the limits of our season. But the option of just kind of checking out from community till next fall or whatever it is will not be good for your faith, will not be good for your soul. So lean in whatever way you can. Um, and so as we've been going through on what this beautiful community looks like, What's so great about the three verses we're going to see today is it gives us a picture of how. Like, how do we actually do this? Because it's one thing to say, wow, wouldn't it be great to be you know, in a, with a group that is bearing with one another and is forgiving each other and is humble and gentle and that's what defines our relationships. We'd probably be like, sounds great, but how do we do it? And so Paul gives us four things this morning that if we prioritize these four things, that will give us a huge step towards having the type of community that Jesus calls us to be. And so I'm going to start in verse 15 with the first one, the first priority of again, how we have these type of beautiful communities, and it's this. He says, prioritize the peace of Christ. This is, let me read verse 15 again. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So he gives us a command. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Which means, uh, this isn't a feeling. You can't command a feeling. Like, it just doesn't work. Uh, so if it's not a feeling and the warm fuzzies for each other, what exactly does this mean and why is it important? Um, so this might seem like it's random, but trust me, we'll get back to why it's important. But has anyone, has anyone been watching either of the uh, Republican or Democratic conventions? Has anyone kind of kept up with either? 
I haven't watched much, but just kind of seen some sound bites from, 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 kind, of, from kind of both, and uh, just out of curiosity. And this is what has kind of stood out to me as I've been listening to both sides, in a sense, giving their pitch. Um, both sides, in a sense, are offering peace, security, and in a roundabout way, salvation. This is like their, like from either side, this is their pitch. Here's how we'll have peace. Here's how we'll have security, whether it's through, here's how we solve COVID. Here's how we fix the economy. And then salvation of this is what this ultimately we're going to bring you into. Uh, again, it's for the, the, both Republicans and Democrats had their four days of, uh, of propaganda. It's, I mean, it's what it is on both, like both, it's it, how it goes. Um, but this is kind of what they're saying. If you pledge your loyalty to us, through a vote, you will be rewarded with a better future, economic stability, peace, etc. And if you don't, what awaits you is death, destruction, misery, and your house is going to catch on fire. I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is, it's salvation awaits if you vote for us. If you don't, destruction awaits. Like in both sides, are, that's their pitch. So here's how this applies to the Colossians text. This has been happening in politics for a very long time. There's nothing new about the type of kind of pitches that Christians are being, are being getting and kind of the temptation to give your ultimate allegiance to one of these things. This has been happening for as long as politics has been around. So the word uh, in, 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 uh, in the Roman times, it's a Latin word, but here was the propaganda of the Roman Empire that the, the Colossians where this letter was written to, the original audience, would have been very familiar with. So the word pax, it's a Latin word for peace. And on the city gates, on the official documents, kind of everywhere you would see in the Roman Empire, the word pax would be uh, put in, in different places, which, which is the word peace. And it was all about this thing called pax romana, or the Roman peace. So if you were a subject of the Roman Empire, you were kind of living in this thing of the deal was uh, be a part of Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And what it did was it convinced people they were far better off supporting the empire because it was only this system that could guarantee their security and their prosperity in an uncertain world. And so the Caesars, they demanded adoration and allegiance in exchange for peace. So here's how peace comes. Pledge our allegiance to the empire and we will get Pax Romana. Um, and so listen to how the first century, it was a poet, Horace, talked about Caesar Augustus. He said this, he has brought back the fertile crops to the fields and wiped away our sins and revived the ancient virtues. That was the, the as they were writing about this, this first empire. The claim was the empire could provide you the peace, provision, and forgiveness that you so desperately needed. All you had to do was give them your ultimate allegiance. And uh, the temptation of politics as the way of peace for a follower of Jesus has not really changed in 2,000 years. The pitch is really no different than it was than it was then. So in light of that kind of understanding, when, when they would hear the phrase, the peace of Christ, running it through that lens, this all of a sudden is not some like fluffy thing you put on a, a bumper sticker. Like this would have been a little bit more of a provocative statement. Because what Paul was saying and reminding them was, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The Pax Jesus, not the peace of Caesar. So by saying this, this was, this, was a, this was a big deal. He was saying that peace comes through Lord Jesus, not through Lord Augustus, Lord Caesar. This was a much more uh, 
again, a, a much more of a provocative statement. Because what followers of Jesus believe that is, he is the one who brings about ultimate peace. He is the one that brings about ultimate restoration. And at times he will use us to bring about that type of restoration in the community at large. But we understand that Jesus is the one who ultimately brings us peace. True peace is taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. So for followers of Jesus, we believe that he has done that for us with our relationship with him. Took that, that fractured relationship has brought it to wholeness. And so Paul is saying, therefore, in light of that, let that be the governing principle between how you treat each other. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the word rule, it's like it could be umpire or govern. Like that is what should control our relationships with each other. So again, if we are to be the type of church that has, that has the unity and the cohesiveness and this, that what, call, what, what we're called to do, the first thing we need to prioritize is this peace of Christ, both in our hearts and with each other. The second thing this verse calls us to, this, this passage says to prioritize, is gratitude. Prioritize gratitude or thankfulness to Jesus. You know, three times in you know, these three verses, it says some version of, in verse 15, it says, and be thankful. In verse 16, it says we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns with all thankfulness in our hearts to God. And then in verse 17, the end says, whatever you do, do everything um, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I, I say this a lot. Whenever something's repeated, that's how it's emphasized. Um, so if, you, if a word, if, you, you know, if you're reading it through and you see the same word multiple times, that's like how the writers of the Bible put it in bold, like, to get your attention. Have you ever, have you ever been part of a, in a community, in a group of people, that is characterized by just thankfulness? What does that feel like when you're just around people? Like, and I think maybe we've experienced the opposite a lot. Have you ever been in a group of people that just like to grumble and complain and just always bring up the... Like, that's exhausting to be around. That, that doesn't bring you life. But for a follower of Jesus, kind of understanding what he's done for you, that he has reconciled you to him, one of our first the things, I think one of the top things we should be known for is just thankfulness. Thankfulness for what he has done for us. Uh, to be thankful can also mean this idea of to be mindful of favors. To keep in mind what someone else has done for you. Something you don't necessarily, well, for sure, don't deserve. And in my, really this week, studying, praying, I was asking myself this question. Uh, what am I thankful for? Like, have I gotten so, because I've, I've been a Christian for a while. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you can kind of almost just lose that sense of like, whoa, what a privilege to be saved. Like, wow. For me, like, this is what Jesus has done for me. Like, I was a sinner. I have broken God's laws. I was, even though I didn't know it, I was his, I was his enemy. And in spite of that, Christ died for me. And he offers me salvation and new life through him, not because I'm a good person, I've worked really hard to earn it, but because of his grace. It's like, Christian, if, you are, if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, like when was the last time that just struck you as amazing? That God loved you, that God's love isn't just some far off random concept, 
but was made very concrete. And this is how much I love you. I gave my life up for you. I stood in your place. And what I have to offer you now is salvation, is wholeness, is new life. We can't forget how awesome that is. And it's not just just we've been like, we get our, our like, oh, here's my get out of hell free card because of what Jesus has done. That's like, like one small part of it because it's not like what, what Jesus has for you isn't just like something that's important in the next life. He has redeemed you and he's restoring you and he's calling you into a community. And it says, Father Jesus, have his Holy Spirit in you. And then because of that, we can have the bond of peace with each other. And then he's slowly turning us into the type of people that are more humble, are more gracious, are more gentle, are more loving. Like he is doing that in us. And then to make it even better, like he promises us a secure future. Like heaven is not going to be some boring, lame place where you're playing a harp up in a cloud. Or like when it's like an eternal worship service. It's like when I was eight or nine, I'm like, that sounds awful. Like a church service that never ends. Like, no, send me somewhere else. Like, that's not what the Bible talks about with heaven. It's, 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 re, it's recreation where everything is perfect the way it should be. Re-enjoying perfect unity with God and with each other. So it says, that is your reality for a follower of Jesus. So therefore, be thankful. Because if you got that, you would be so much like nicer. <laughs> you have so much more grace with people. You understand that like, that's something that's yours that can never be taken away. So what he's kind of saying is, if that's true, live like it. Prioritize that thankfulness in your gatherings because that's going to spill out into your relationships. The third thing he calls this prioritize, he says, prioritize the word of Christ. Here's what that means. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And he says, let all, with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your heart. So we prioritize the peace of Christ what he's done. We prioritize the thankfulness of Christ. But the third thing, again, is we prioritize the word of Christ. And, it's, and that, when he says that, it's kind of an interesting phrase. It's not just talking about the Bible, although the word of Christ is in the Bible. What this is talking about is more prioritizing the message, the good news message of Jesus. Like the, what the gospel says, prioritize that, just getting down deep in you. It says, let that dwell in you. And when he says dwell, it's, it's this idea of something is down, is in you and is so real to you and you're saturated with it in such a way that it controls what you do. Um, there's so much right now that can control you with what you do and how you act, whether it's your emotions, uh, whether, it's, say, whether it's some algorithm that is sending you curated news to give you a dopamine hit of anger uh, because that sells, like that is controlling you. You can be controlled by your past you can be controlled by the fear of others. There's all these things that can control you. It's something that gets deep down in you and affects how you act. And so what he says, prioritize the, the, letting the word of Jesus, his gospel message, impacting everything that you do. And there's kind of two ways, practically, he says, that we're, we're to do this. And one, it's to um, teach and admonish one another. Again, this is one of the 59 one another commands. Teach and admonish one another. And that means, that, well, first off, that doesn't mean come here and listen to someone give a sermon. To teach and admonish one another is the work of the people. It's your responsibility to each other to teach and admonish one another in the word. Um, that can sound like vague. Okay, like how, how do you do that? 
So there's two questions that might help. That if you, if you kind of get in a regular rhythm of asking each other these two questions, it might make it feel like less, uh, like, how do we do this? And here's this. The first one is asking, and, the, and these two questions come out of the group of uh, Norwegian, Swedish immigrants in the, like, the mid-1800s that immigrated over here and started our denomination, both the, uh, the EFCA, Evangelical Free Church, and the Covenant Church, kind of the same group of Swedes that came over, uh, Norwegians. And so they would ask each other these questions routinely. One, how is your walk? And two, where is it written? How is your walk and where is it written? And that first question kind of gets through all of the, I mean, what's our standard go-to? How's it going? Good, all right, you know. Almost never get below the surface of that question. How's your walk? Meaning, how is your, like, how is your daily relationship with Jesus going? That quickly gets like, oh, oh, that's a little bit deeper. <laughs> oh, I can't just say like, okay, work's been a little busy. They would ask themselves that. Like almost the question is, how is your soul doing? And then the other question is, where is it written? Because you know, we, we hold to the authority of scripture. And so when we have beliefs or give advice, it's how, like, where is what you're saying? Where is it written in here? Because there's so much like pseudo self-help feel-goody, Oprah-style stuff out there that passes as God's word or good advice. And there's some, like, there's some good truth in there. But ultimately, the question is, where's that written? Where does the Bible say that's true? So those two questions will start make that uh, concrete. Um, the second way we are called to do this is he talks about we are called to sing together. We're not only just called to teach the gospel together, but we are called to sing the message together. It says, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs... A unified church worships and sings together. Actually, it's what we're going to do this morning very shortly. We back-ended our worship this morning where we have, we're ending with more so that we can sing these truths about Jesus together. There's this really cool thing that science has figured out that uh, what happens when a group of people sing together. They found out that uh, because of breathing patterns and because of the way your brains work, that as if everyone as a group is singing the same song together, what happens is your actual heart's start to beat in sync with each other. Like everyone's kind of heart beats at a little bit of a different cadence, but as you sing together through the way God has created us, our hearts start beating in sync and it actually bonds groups of people together. It's why you have an, like you can go to a concert of any kind and almost have like, it feels like a religious experience when everyone's singing the same songs, but like that doesn't translate you know, two years later when you're like watching it again on, on YouTube. You're like, oh, you just had to be there. Because it's, there's this something that happens when people get together and sing. So for us as followers, uh, for followers of Jesus, what makes singing together so important is not only are we like physiologically being synced together in a way that bonds us, but we are singing truths that we all either corporately believe, wish we believe, or have forgotten and need to remember. And it's an amazing thing. And finally, the fourth thing that this passage has that tells us is important, that we need to prioritize the reputation of Christ. Verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We need to prioritize his reputation above all else, remembering that he is who we represent. Um, it's been, a, you know, as, a, as an alum of Liberty University, it's been a very discouraging week <laughs> um, for the news. It's been a very discouraging like eight years. But um, it's just, and this is not to like pick on because like, Anyone in a position of power is liable to fall and has to be very carefully watched over their, over their soul and their conduct. 
Um, but we, like, we represent Jesus. If, you, if people know you're a Christian, your conduct. So whatever you post, however you respond, however you, everything in word or deed, remember you're doing it in the name of, as a representative of Jesus. So, but as his followers, when we come together, if we prioritize these four things, the peace of Christ, thankfulness to Christ, uh, the word of Christ, and the reputation, if that is the prioritize just means make it more important than everything else, if, if those four things are lifted up, it allow us to be really much more in unison and harmony with each other and represent Jesus well and be the type of community through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's calling us to be. So I'm going to have the, uh, the worship team come forward. And our application this morning is we're just going to sing together. We're going to sing God's word together. We're going to celebrate. Uh, so let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that we have so much to be thankful for. Um, I know whether watching or here, there's just people that are all over the spectrum, whether it comes to their just feel connected to you and people who just don't even know if you're real or know what they think or been burned by the church. Um, Lord, I just give this whole group to you that they would feel your love, they would feel your compassion, that they would know that they have been created by you to know you and uh, the peace that you give is the best thing. So thank you that you've done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so may the, this time of singing together just be an acceptable offering of praise to you. I pray, amen.